You are listening to the Raw Sessions podcast, where we talk about all the things that are a big part of the uni bubble, but are so rarely spoken about with Jesus. Join us as we explore what it means to follow him in today's culture. Hello, everyone. My name's Emmy, and I'm the student worker at G2. Hi, I'm Adam. Uh, I'm one of the associate pastors at G2. And the topic that we're going to be discussing today is sexual assault. Yeah, so instantly, that's a big one, isn't it? That's, that's a topic which can bring up a whole load of emotion and feelings and all of that. Um, and there's a lot of different definitions and terms. So we thought it'd be good just to kick off with what we're going to be looking at and defining that today. So Emmy, over to you. Yeah, so the overall definition of sexual or indecent assault is an act of physical, psychological or emotional violation in the form of a sexual act inflicted on someone without their consent. Like Adam said, um, this is probably the most upsetting or aggravating topic that we've discussed so far in um, the Raw Sessions podcast. However, we do see it a lot in student circles. And so we think it's important to bring God into this conversation as well as the other ones that we've discussed. We wanna acknowledge that exposure to this conversation will affect people differently. It is such a serious issue and it is important for us to engage with it um, as a student community, whether we've had experiences with assault or not. Yeah, um, I think that's really important for us to, to say and, and, and hopefully as you're, as you're listening to this that, um, yeah, you know that our heart with these podcasts is always to communicate love, is always to um, help have a conversation about difficult topics um, and try and apply a biblical perspective to those. Um, so we thought it would be good to kind of kick off the, the, the main content of our podcast through uh, looking a bit at a story from the Bible. Uh, it's from 2 Samuel uh, 13. Uh, so I'm going to read that out and then me and Emma are going to have a little chat about that. And then we'll pick up some more of the kind of practical stuff that we normally do on this podcast. Um, so I'm reading from the ESV version of the Bible. Uh, in 2 Samuel 13, verse 1 to 22. Now Absalom, David's son, had a beautiful sister whose name was Tamar. And after a time, Amnon, as one of David's other sons, loved her. And Amnon was so tormented that he made himself ill because of his uh, half-sister Tamar, for she was a virgin, and it seemed impossible to Amnon to do anything to her. But Amnon had a friend whose name was Jonadab, the son of Shimea, David's brother. And Jonadab was a very crafty man. And he said to Amnon, O son of the king, why are you so haggard morning after morning? Will you not tell me? Amnon said to him, I love Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. Jonadab said to him, lie down on your bed and pretend to be ill. And when your father comes to see you, say to him, let my sister Tamar come and give me bread to eat and prepare the food in my sight that I may see it and eat it from her hand. So Amnon lay down and pretended to be ill. And when the king came to see him, Amnon said to the king, please let my sister Tamar come and make a couple of cakes in my sight that I may eat from her hand. Then David sent home to Tamar saying, go to your brother Amnon's house and prepare food for him. So Tamar went to her brother Amnon's house where he was lying down and she took dough and netted it, netted it and made cakes in his sight and baked the cakes. And she took the pan and emptied it out before him, but he refused to eat. And Amnon said, send out everyone from me. So everyone went out from him. Then Amnon said to Tamar, bring the food into the chamber that I may eat from your hand. And Tamar took the cake she had made 
and brought them into the chamber to Amnon, her brother. But when she brought them near to him to eat, he took hold of her and said to her, come lie with me, my sister. She answered him, no, my brother, do not violate me, for such a thing is not done in Israel. Do not do this outrageous things. As for me, where could I carry my shame? And as for you, you would be as one of the most outrageous fools in Israel. Now, therefore, please speak to the king, for we will, he will would not hold me from you. But he would not listen to her. And being stronger than she, he violated her and lay with her. Then Amnon hated her with very great hatred. So that the hatred with which he hated her was greater than the love with which he had loved her. And Amnon told her to get up and go. But she said to him, no, my brother, for this wrong in sending me away is greater than the other that you did to me. But he would not listen to her. He called the young man who served him and said, put this woman out of my presence and bolt the door after her. Now she was wearing a long robe of sleeves, uh, for thus were the virgin daughters of the king dressed. So his servant put her out and bolted the door after her. And then Tamar put ashes on her head and she tore the long robe that she wore. And she lay, laid her hand on her head and went away, crying and weeping aloud as she went. And her brother Absalom said to her, has Amnon, your brother, been with you? Now hold your peace, my sister. He is your brother. Do not take this to heart. So Tamar lived, a desolate woman, in her brother Absalom's house. When King David heard all of these things, he was very angry. But he did not act, because Amnon, his son who he loved, was his firstborn. But Absalom spoke to Amnon, neither good nor bad. For Absalom hated Amnon, because he had violated his sister Tamar. So that's a, I'd say that's a, that's a gruesome story. When I read that out, I've read that before, I've studied it before doing this podcast. And, and, and that's how I, this is, this is brutal, isn't it? What, what do you make of that, Emmy, in, in hearing that mm. out there? I think, um, I, I totally agree. It's interesting how, um, I, I guess every time I read this, I pick something new up from it. And, and the, yep. in my like immediate, thought is like the pain of Tamar and like just how awful that must have been for her and how painful that must have been another part of it is like I'm angry at so many people in this story especially like at the end of it um of what you said around King David and um Amnon of course it's just like baffles me and also I think I think in the context of the larger bible that's the part that or like stories like this are ones that I forget often. I forget that yeah. they are like things, stories like this are so relatable to situations that happen like to people in our generations. Yeah. 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 We don't talk, we don't talk about this too often on, on Sundays, do we? It's not something you hear preached, no. but, but you're right. It has such a yeah. relevance. And um, there's a whole bunch of other stories that are quite similar to this in the Bible. Um so there's a whole bunch of stuff about different kind of uh, examples of, of sexual assault throughout um, the Old Testament in particular, which is um, something we've not got time to go into today, but we thought we'd kind of focus on this story. Um, you mentioned there about, about in particular like Tamar and kind of your sort of, I guess, compassion for her. Um, it'd be interesting in this passage, just to, let's pick up a few things that we see of kind of, I guess, her point of view in this story. Um, yeah. So as we see, she's, she, she's gone to, to serve her, her half-brother, uh, Amnon. Um, the whole brother-sister thing is confusing in the Old Testament because it's very different from where we are now. So that can be difficult to hear. Um, 
basically it's a half brother she thought she was baking cakes for him and serving him in that way um and he basically takes advantage of her overpowers her um rapes her uh takes her virginity completely violates her completely violates what is the norm what is okay what is seen as acceptable uh for for, for a son of the king um and we see in tamar that um at the end of this passage, she, she, she goes into mourning. So that sign of her, uh, verse 19, putting ashes on her head, uh, tearing the long robe that she wore, uh, laying her hand on her head and crying aloud. All of that is a sign of, of, of mourning, a sign of grief. That's what people would do uh, mm-hmm. in Old Testament uh, for whenever people died. Uh, so she is mourning, she's mourning as if, as, as if she's died, as if she's kind of lost a part of her identity, which I, I kind of think she has in, in, in what Amnon does here and yeah. takes away from her without her consent um and we also see uh, earlier in the passage tamar knows this is wrong and she tells amnon this she says do not violate me for such a thing is not done in israel uh, do not do this this outrageous thing um and it's worth noting this isn't just an outrageous thing that's done uh, in isolation in, in a family this is done an outrageous thing that's done in the royal family of israel so this is something which has implications for the whole nation um the word when she uses outrage, uh, kind of we can translate that as being the worst of the worst of, of perversities. Uh, and it's, it's likened, the, the original word that's used in the Bible here, uh, as if it was a whole nation breaking their covenant with God, breaking their, um, we talked a bit about covenant in the podcast on sex, but, but this act that, that, that Amnon does here to Tamar, uh, her use of the word outrage, connects that with a whole nation breaking their covenant with Yahweh, with God. Um, so it's not something which is underplayed in its in, it, in its statement of how evil it is of how bad um, it is. Um, Tamar mourns, like I said, she grieves. Um, there's stuff that we can pick up on that a bit later. I think um, she she lives like her life is over. That's one of the things that I think going away from the story. Uh, we don't hear from her again in, in yeah. the rest of the Bible. We don't really know the end of her story. We know that she uh, lives with her other brother Absalom, who kind of shelters her and protects her. Um, but there's clearly a horrific impact that this has on her. There's clearly a horrific impact this has on her identity, on her uh, self-value, her self-worth. Um, and I think in, 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 yeah. in assessing that, it, it kind of leads me to think a bit about Amnon and seeing what, what he does here. So um, we see him basically convinced by one of his friends to, to deceive his own half-sister and, and, and rape her, have his way with her. Um, and he... And he, and he it's weird. He kind of frames it as being something he wants to do out of love. Um, and then we see this weird thing in yeah. verse 15, when as soon as that happens, uh, it says Amnon hated her with a very great hatred. That, and the hatred was greater than the love that he'd had for her. And he like sends her out. He locks the door. He bolts her out. Um, so there may have been a world in which he'd said, okay, now we've had sex. Um, I'll take you as my wife. And maybe that would have been seen as acceptable. I don't know. Um, maybe they could have done that. But he's like, no, no, no. I don't want anything to do with you now. I despise you. Hatred means to, to wish death upon someone. So he's, he's wishing that Tamar didn't exist because he's like, because of what's happened here, because of what I've done to you, he's not admitting that. He now hates her. He now wishes death on her. Um, mm-hmm. And it's clearly something in, in that which is, is, is nothing to do with, with God. It's nothing to do with what God is about. Yeah. Um, yeah. Have you got any thoughts just on those, on those two? Yeah, I think... Like, I guess the, the anger in me is like mm. how 
powerless Tamar Tamar is like made to be yeah like even when she's like she says to him no like this is outrageous you can't do this he does it and then also his change in emotion also makes her more powerless um and like you said it impacts the whole um all the people around them it's not it's not just in their family they are the royal family I just think that's like that just sparks something in me that is just hatred in itself mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. that she's made to be like that and that it's all very dependent on his emotions even though it's his actions that got them into that yeah I agree um another thing that I've, I forgot to, to mention before that it's a little bit of a side note but there's something interesting in this um the robe that um, Tamar wears, uh, verse 18, she's wearing a mm-hmm. long robe of sleeves. Um, the, 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 the only other time in the Bible that someone wears the same kind of robe um, is Joseph uh, in Genesis 37. And obviously we've got Joseph in the amazing yeah. Technicolor dream coat. And we kind of, it's this really impressive robe of many colours. And, you know, it's, it's sparked that musical and that scene of like, that joy and kind of that <laughs> celebration. And I think that's, that's what Tamar's story should be. That's what her life should have been. Yeah. She should have been seen as this, this, this princess, this daughter of the king, someone who um, had a story of God's goodness, a story of God's faithfulness in her life. But um, we don't have a musical about her, do we? This isn't, this isn't a glamorous story yeah. that we like to talk about or tell because of the sheer evil no. of what's happened here. Um, and I think we don't just mm-hmm. see wrongdoing in the eyes of in, in how Amnon behaves, but we also see it in, in David and in Absalom, yeah. uh, the other guy, in different ways of Absalom and David, of course. But it, it's weird, isn't it, how David behaves here? Yeah, and also, like, not not totally expected. No. Like, I feel like this doesn't fit with the character of David that I get from, I guess, what, what we talk about usually in church or in small groups. Yeah, we kind of hold David up as this, like, this, this, this mighty king, and we sort of say, he had some bad stuff and did some bad things, but you know, ultimately he kept seeking, seeking God and he wrote some Psalms and it's all good, bro. Um, yeah. But I hear, and I'm like, your, your own daughter has been raped, but you don't do anything. You're angry, yeah. but you don't take any action. You don't, you don't display any kind of justice, which was the role of the King in that time. Um, mm-hmm. And David here, um, two chapters before he had, uh, he saw this woman Bathsheba having a bath on the roof, Bantz, and thought, she looks a bit of all right. I'm going to get her husband killed in battle so that I can have sex with her. Um, in my opinion, mm-hmm. that is sexual coercion. Do you know what I mean? That is, that's a whole, yeah. weird, another weird story. Another thing that's, that's not, you know, not something that, it, you know, puts David in a good light. Um, yeah. And then not long after that, we see this story take place. And we see David, and I think is totally, I would say he's bereft of any kind of courage. So, so he's almost lost his clarity mm. of judgment. He's almost lost his ability to differentiate between um, right and wrong. And, and, and he doesn't behave as the king should behave. Um, interestingly, uh, his favoritism of Amnon in this way, his, 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 his refusal to address this um, ended up causing loads of problems later in, in his life, later in, in, in David's family. Um, and there's more about that throughout throughout the Old Testament in 1 Kings and in 2 Samuel. Um, we see Amnon ends up uh, being killed by Absalom uh, and ends up being a war as a result of that and a rebellion led by Absalom. 
um, it was a role of the king to, to kind of have, have, the have, have the duty of justice over his household, which David fails to exercise totally, um, which yeah. enrages Absalom. I think Absalom is both outraged at Amnon for the act, but I think he, he, he harbours resentment against David as well uh, for refusing to punish Amnon. So later in this chapter, Absalom murders Amnon and then he flees, from, uh, flees away after killing him. And then returns to Jerusalem and proclaims himself king because he sees himself as more worthy than being king than David is. Um, so I would say Absalom is someone who ends up being consumed by rage and anger. Um, he, yeah. he, he, he kills someone. It's proper eye for an eye stuff. Um, and he reaches a point of saying, actually, I deserve to be king more than God's appointed king, David. So he's saying, because of how bad what you've done is, because my own father has been this much of a um, dick, to be honest. Uh, I don't think you use those words, but that, I think that's okay to say in this context. Um, he also isn't following God because he's taking it all upon himself. Um, yeah. And I find that challenging because, like as you said before, reading this story does make me angry. It does make you angry. I mean, that is quite a normal yeah. reaction for us. Um, what do you think about David and Absalom in this in this story? I think it. I think like. Although my initial reaction is anger, it's just, I guess, when looking at the bigger picture, it's sadness for God's kingdom. Yeah. And like what, you know, the whole like God's will on earth and how this, this whole topic and any experience of it is so far from it. But, but even the way that they react is so consumed with people's view of them or their own emotion that they can't control in any way or turn to God that it causes even greater problems. like. Than, than ever could have happened if they had processed it differently or if they had taken it to God in a different way. Yeah. I think I think it's just sad. Yeah. It feels like a bit of like a hit in the stomach mm. again of mm. like, oh, what what has been missed out on here because of every single per or every person's behaviour and thoughts and actions here. Yeah, the fact that David doesn't do anything at all, it, it just staggers me. Yeah. You're just like, are, are you kidding me? This has happened and you've taken no action. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, Absalom. It's crazy. Absalom's yeah. rage, like, basically consumes him. It basically, you know, mm -hmm. and he doesn't know how to take that to God. He doesn't know how to, um, he, doesn't, he probably doesn't trust God because God's representative, the king, has failed to act. So he's probably lost a bit of faith in God in that sense, I would say. Um, yeah. It's, yeah. Yeah, I imagine, I imagine lots of them did. I mean, I imagine lots of them lost different bits of faith in God and had different questions that I guess they didn't press into in I don't know what they did, but it, it doesn't sound like they went to God no personally or no. at least pushed into it. I don't know. Yeah. And I think that's um, something which is interesting in terms of I guess we'll get into a bit today, but like how how when we encounter things like this, both in, in our own lives, um and in lots of those around us, but just generally speaking, how do we react with God involved in that? Um, yeah. Because I think God does, I think just because we don't hear God directly mention this passage um, doesn't mean that God isn't troubled by this stuff. Um, so the Old Testament, uh, the law in the Old Testament uh, was what revealed God's character to the people of Israel. Uh, and in that law, uh, we see God. Um, provide uh market mark rape as being worthy of a death sentence so i'm not saying now that we need to bring back corporal punishment and kill people that have committed sexual assaults or rape yeah. that's not a conversation i'm having but but 
but in in those contexts where it was more death was more normal items of punishment uh rape is is placed in that context it's placed as being something which the penalty the penalty is death um interestingly the first legislation recorded ever uh, kind of law of a country of a kingdom whatever in human history uh, that protected women from being raped uh, is found in the old testament is found in the bible and the right. first legislation in human history that protected female prisoners of war and like the plunder of war that sort of stuff was also uh, in the bible there's so in deuteronomy 21 and 22 um, and whenever rape's mentioned in the bible it's is that is an act of war or an act of genocide or an act of evil uh, so I don't want anyone to think for a second that just because a story like this is in the Bible, that means God's okay with it. Uh, whenever it's presented, it's presented mm-hmm. as being something which is evil, which is abhorrent, uh, which goes totally against the law, which is the revealing of God's character, and goes totally against uh, anything that we see of God wanting to do. Um, the Old Testament is still relevant and valuable to us today. The law is still uh, relevant. Jesus came to uh, fulfil the law. He didn't abolish it. Uh, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians that I'm still under the law of Christ. There still is a relevance to that. And for us understanding that how that reveals God to us, how that reveals God as father and, and, and saviour, that, that he's willing to take a firm stance against evil in this way uh, is important. Um, yeah. Yeah. And so I guess off the back of, of what you just said around um, like those first few um protection rights sort of thing were found in the bible and how we can learn from god through the law what does this story and those things show us of god's character yeah great question so i think for me in thinking about how that's that kind of um i know legislation is a weird thing to pick up but we kind of sometimes ignore the laws don't we in the bible but i think it it really reveals to me like god's heart for justice so I think we sometimes frame God's heart of justice in the sense of uh, like social action and, and giving to the poor and the needy and all that sort of stuff, which is, which is mm-hmm. a brilliant thing, of course. Um, but I think there's also a heart of justice for, 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 for wrongdoing. There's also a heart of justice it's like, that kind of like punishes people that have done wrong. Um, and in this, in this story, you see like, yeah, the, the failure of, of human justice. You see the failure of human justice in that it's, Someone takes a law into their own hands. Someone uh, fails to act entirely. Um, someone violates the law. Uh, but we see God's law and we see God's character as being one that is just. Uh, Ezekiel thirty four sixteen, 16, uh, God says, I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak. But the sleek and the strong I will destroy. I will shepherd the flock with justice. We see God taking action against these these failures of shepherds who have abused the sheep under their care. Um, his heart of justice is all throughout scripture from, from the very first page to the, to the very last, both in the sense of, like I said, wanting to see us protect the fatherless and the widow and all of that, but also in, in punishing those who do wrong in punishing evil and, um, and not letting that go. Uh, if that makes sense. What, yeah. and what else and, do you see in, in that? I think would be good to, yeah, I guess we, you know, how we've been looking at like the church out of the box series and this week was um, looking at, I guess, like the middle big chunk in act yeah. two. Yeah. And we were, we were chatting in small group last night that like we, how like offensive Peter's words were to the people at the time and how like yeah. at one point he says, um, like recalls a prophecy of God will make your enemies a footstool. And like, sometimes it's nice that we just kind of look up, that phrase is repeated a lot of times in the Bible. And sometimes like we overlook it and just think, oh, that's nice. And then we're like, no, hold on. Like, that's not 
that is not nice. like you know how people say or like either god's lovely and fluffy or yeah. like god's really mean and da, da, da. he's not either <laughs> like yeah it's and and that is like our understanding of god's heart of justice i don't I, at least i haven't comprehended it um but there are so many things that that i think we overlook such as like in in the passage you just read this um but the sleek and strong i will destroy mm. Mm. he's got such a heart of justice and it and it's like a a ferocious heart of justice as well is that that thing where god um in hosea gets described as a mother bear robbed of her cubs um yeah which which is interesting in in that sense of there's that like you say ferocity is the word it's like they're like that kind of this makes me angry when evil is done this makes me angry when uh, a daughter of mine is, is is harmed in this way a son of mine is harmed yeah um yeah 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 Another another um, part of God's character, I think, that this story shows and and some of the other stuff that we've been talking about shows is God's heart of compassion, yeah. um, which just flows all the way through the Bible and all the way through um, different people's lives around us and our own, I'm sure. Mm. Um, I had um, an experience of sexual assault while I was at university. Um, and so... I can adhere first and foremost to God's heart of compassion. One of the first things that someone said to me and trying to help me process this um, experience um, was you need to figure out where God was in the room when that thing happened. Mm-hmm. And I think a lie that's so easy to believe in um, cases like this or experiences of this is that Jesus just sat and watched it happen and that he didn't care. He didn't. It, he just kind of overlooked it was just another thing but yeah. that's just absolutely not true god absolutely hates it he's gutted yeah. that people have to go through experiences of this and more than that he hates that an, a person that he loves would disrespect another person that he loves in this way as well um i think in uh, the the kind of follow-up question logically to that then okay so if god was there when when that bad thing happened why didn't mm. he stop it? That is the, in all pain mm-hmm. and suffering debates. That is that is always the question that's asked. That's a, mil- that's a million and dollar question, isn't ma- it? Yeah. The million dollar question, yeah, of faith, I think. Yeah. Um, and I think the answer is simply, and some people don't like this as the answer, but the answer to why didn't he stop a bad thing happening is that he gave us free will. And free will is is the greatest gift. He's given us ultimate freedom. But to give it fully, it means that he can't jump in when something bad's happening. If he did jump in, it would be him exerting control, which would make him a controlling God. And to me, a controlling God is not a totally good God. And we can we can only believe in in that he is all powerful. He is all um, present, but that he is all good. Yeah. Yeah. And I think there's a like you said, there's a whole var- variation of opinions in there around like, yeah, language of free will and agency and all that sort of stuff. But I think um, mm-hmm. for, 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 for us as, as, as Christians, for, for, for us in, in a student context where um, sadly sexual assault is probably something which we will all have been exposed to in different ways, whether that's um, being a, being a survivor uh, as, 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 uh, as you shared and, and all of that's someone you know knowing someone being connected to it um so i think in all of that we 
holding on to the goodness of God in spite of the evil around us, that that's often like you say, how we make sense of the world as it is today. Because yes, we do see things like rape, we do see death, we see war, we see cancer. Um, but does any of that mean that God is not inherently good? No, we're in that tension between the now and the not yet that we know that Jesus will one day return to judge the living and the dead and uh, we will see a new Jerusalem built and we will see all of that stuff. Um, but we're not there yet, are we? So we kind of see this sort of tension that takes place. And um, mm-hmm. like you say, God isn't controlling or coercive, is he? I don't think. Um, well, I don't think, I don't think, I don't know. I, you know, he, he is not controlling. He's not coercive. Mm-hmm. Um, that's definitely not in his character or nature of compassion and justice. No. No. And, and I guess like another way to like phrase it yeah. is that, and it, it sounds almost sickening to some degree, but it, but he's so good that he lets us choose to love him. And he's so good that he does that over making us like, like you said, he's not controlling or coercive. We get to choose that. But the downside to that free will is that we can choose how to use that freedom. And we're not always going to choose the things that are going to bring us closest to him or the things that are good. Yeah. And another downside is that we can get hurt from other people's choices that might be bad as well. Yeah. We love um, what's think, it we love because he first loved us. It's a, it's like a classic wedding yeah. wedding verse, but you're like, Oh yeah, like that's how we're able to love people. That's how we're responding out of like God's love for us. Responding to that, yeah. Yeah. Totally. I think something um that people say a lot, that phrase that people hold on to when things get confusing in the world or people can't um, sometimes they don't know what to say when someone says something bad that's happened to them is the phrase everything happens for a reason yeah and I don't know about you but this (laughs) phrase really ticks me off yeah I think that um if if you're using the phrase everything happens for a reason to find comfort in your confusion of the world then you're settling for something that is so much lower than what you do deserve just, it is so worth turning to God. Just say, yeah. just say that again. Just say that again slowly. I think, <laughs> I think that is that. That's fire. Give me, give me that one more time. If you say that you're using um, the phrase "everything happens for a reason" to try and find comfort in your confusion of the world, then you're settling for something lower than what you deserve. Yeah. It's so worth good. turning to God no matter what you feel towards him, whether yeah. you even believe in him or not, and you're questioning that. It's worth wrestling with the questions that we have about life, about pain and suffering, um, and the things that we just don't understand. He brings clarity and he brings peace to understanding, whether it's new understanding or things that we don't know. And more than that, he transforms the bad things that happen um, in life and to us and produces goodness out of them hmm. yeah I think that's that's so true that the God takes an interest in us so he's interested in our conversations mm-hmm. both our our yells of anguish and frustration and also our like our communication with God shouldn't just be God I love you do this to me it should be God I'm really angry about this this thing is burning up with me with injustice um yeah. I think that I think you're right. That's so important. Um, I think ultimately, and, it's about, oh no, go. I'm sorry. I was gonna say, and God can take it. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Out of yeah. like anyone, and you know how like when you get angry sometimes and you lash out and you're like, oh, I needed to be angry, but also I'm feeling a bit bad about like that person who I was angry at or like punching or what I don't know what it is. Yeah. 
God can totally take it and more than that he wants to. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's so true. That's a good a good a good point. I think um as well, in all of this, like you like kind of like you're saying then it's about us relying on God's character and 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 trusting in his heart, trusting in his in, in who he is, in spite of horrific evils like this, in spite of um what we're talking about today and and, and other evils within our world. Um and I think there's a way of us responding to this stuff um, that responds kind of through the perspective of, of, of God's, God's vision for redemption. So, so it brings me hope uh, in, in knowing friends of mine and knowing people that have been uh, sexually abused, sexually assaulted and violated in that way, that, that one day God promises to wipe away every tear from their eyes, uh, that he says death will be no more. Uh, there will be no more mourning, no, nor crying, nor pain for the former things have passed away. Uh, from revelation 21 um because if if this world was just all it is and if we just left things as they are and justice was never paid later in that verse it says as for the cowardly the faithless the detestable the murderers the sexually immoral uh sorcerers idolaters and all lions um all lies not lions sorry um <laughs> their portion will be the lake that burns with fire and sulfur which is a second death so i'm like that that's pretty strong about people that have committed acts like rape and and, and and similar and sexual assault and not repented and and not gone through any of that process and and, and not sought to to seek God's redemptive purpose. Um, so I choose to put trust in God's redemptive purpose, even when that is so hard, even when that is so painful um, and so kind of against what my emotions are telling me, uh, against what my Absalom wants to do. Do you know what I mean? Um, and I've been in those situations yeah. and, and Emmy, me and you've talked about that, that before where, where I've reacted to stuff with an Absalom heart around this, uh, this kind of topic. Yeah. Um, and I think one of the things is, is, as we kind of wrap up is I think in Tamar's story, um, heartbreakingly, we don't see redemption. We don't see, like I said, her musical of her amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. We don't see a happy ending. We don't see a resolution. We can only imagine what her life was like, but it's, Scholars believe it's quite likely she lived as a, as, as, a, as a widow in mourning for the rest of her life. Absalom later dies in his rebellion to, to David, to the man that's protecting her and caring for her also dies. Her family is torn apart by what someone's done to her. Um, but we do see redemption in the bigger picture of, of Scripture, in that Revelation 21 vision, in what Jesus has done for us. Um, and that's not easy to say, and that isn't, definitely isn't a cop-out. Like I said, I definitely think it's taking this stuff to God and wrestling mm. it through with him and, and understanding more of what, redemption lived out gritty hard earned uh fought for not just bearing our head in the sand but like no through tears through through pain through genuine emotion uh, that's like you say god can take it and that's what he wants us to bring to him yeah and and i just want to encourage as well that we talk sometimes i think the word redemption can be stuck in like a biblical context it is so now and here it is Mm. so um available for us to get maybe not full redemption that's we'll have to wait till we're with jesus then um but we are with the holy spirit now um and the holy spirit does transform um parts of us that we think are so um that so can't be redeemed um if um we usually say at the end of these podcasts please keep carrying on this conversation with us um, I really, really want to encourage you to discuss this with us, whether you've, um, you w- want to talk about an experience or whether you're just, you just want to know more about the biblical stuff or 
just discuss it in any way. We're not trained counsellors, <laughs> um, but we are here to try and point you towards Jesus um, through everything. And we would love to talk to you, of course, more about this. Um, I do also want to encourage you to discuss with trained professionals if um, if this is a situation that you've been through um, that yeah. maybe you haven't processed or you want to process more of. Um, trained counsellors are brilliant with this stuff. Um, so I really do want to point you towards them. And we've just got a few questions to round up this session. Um, the first question is, what questions and emotions do you have that you need to bring before God? Yeah. And the second question um, is, how do you see God's vision uh, for redemption, uh, even in circumstances like this one? Um, yeah. Emmy, can you pray for us as we end? I think that would be really good. Yeah, I'd love to. And Father God, I just thank you that you are so full of compassion and love mm. um, and faithfulness, God, even when we're not, um, as humanity, we're not God. Father, I thank you that you um, want to have personal relationship with us. Mm. Um, God, that you want to see us kicking and screaming and crying when it's towards you. Um, God, you want us to bring everything to you. Um, and Father, I thank you that you bring redemption. Um, God, I thank you that we get to learn um, from the Bible and we get to learn more about you from that, but also about people's experiences in that. Um, and God, I just ask that um, that everyone who's been listening to this um, or has been praying through or discussing anything to do with this topic, God, I ask that you just bring peace on um, all of our hearts, Father. Yeah. Um, that through this, God, our eyes would be fixed on your face. God, that we'd seek understanding through you um, and we'd seek peace through you, God, first and foremost. And we just ask that you bring that. God, we thank you for all that you've done and we absolutely love you. Mm. In your holy name we pray. Amen. Amen.